It's Christmas. You must be so excited. I mean, the lights, the music, the food, the gifts. <laughs> ah, yes, the gifts. <laughs> I love to receive and to give gifts. Over the years, I have given and received many, many, many gifts. But there's one gift that stands head and shoulders above all the rest. It's the very first Christmas gift I ever received, which kind of makes sense, seeing as it was the very first Christmas ever. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Joseph. You may have heard of me. I kind of got caught up and dragged into this whole Christmas thing. And if you have a few moments... I'd like to share with you about that very first Christmas. I guess really it all began when I was a little boy. Growing up in my family, we weren't a wealthy family. We weren't a, an influential family. We weren't a famous family. There was really nothing extraordinary about my family. We kind of defined ordinary not that there's anything wrong with ordinary. I, I love ordinary. I loved my ordinary family. There was eight of us all together. My dad and mom, me, and my five sisters. Did I say there was nothing extraordinary about my family? Five sisters. Count them. Try growing up in a Jewish home, being the only boy with five sisters. All my other friends had brothers. That's all I ever wanted was a brother. My best friend Daniel had seven brothers. Count them. Me, zilch, five sisters. My dad and I went on a lot of fishing trips together. But growing up in my family, it, it wasn't so bad with five sisters. Rebecca, Sarah, Ruth, Rachel, and Zilpa. She was named after my grandma. But five sisters wasn't such a bad thing. I mean, I never went hungry. <laughs> my mom was a great cook, and she passed on those skills to each and every one of my sisters. Any one of them can take the blandest of meals and turn it into a culinary delight. Now I had a lot of good memories of my ordinary family. Great memories, especially of my dad. My dad was a carpenter, and, and he was good at what he did. Not like my uncle Zedekiah. <laughs> he was a carpenter too, but he should have been a fisherman, or a shepherd, or a shoemaker, or anything else but a carpenter. But my dad, he was good. He taught me everything I know about carpentry. Taught me how to use every tool. Taught me the difference between all the different kinds of wood and how they need to be uniquely worked with. Talk me a work ethic and how to make something that you could be proud of that would last. My dad taught me a lot of things, but more than anything else, more than his work ethic, more than his horrible singing voice, more than our fishing trips, what I remember most about my dad was his faith. It was rock solid. Him and my mom had such depth to their faith. It was so important to them. It, it was central to their lives. It defined who they were and how they lived. I remember as a family, every night before bed, gathering together and reciting the Shema from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all of your heart 
and soul and strength. Every Sabbath day, they would take us to the local synagogue and we would hear the Holy Scriptures read before us. Our faith was so real. I remember they were so, so generous, so humble, so compassionate. And they longed and prayed every day for the Messiah to come. That God would send the Messiah who would rescue us from our oppressors and who would restore and establish God's kingdom in all of its fullness. It's hard to believe that I'd end up playing a small role in that whole story. That's where Mary comes in. Our families had known each other forever. She grew up a couple towns away from mine, the same town where my uncle Zedekiah and his family lived. And in our culture, it was the bridegroom's parents' responsibility to, to prearrange the weddings for each one of their sons. Well, my parents got off lucky. They only had to prearrange one marriage. In our culture, it usually worked out pretty good, but that didn't stop me from doing a lot of praying. Oh, God, please give my parents wisdom. Help them to choose a woman who I can not only live with, but one that I wouldn't be able to live without. Oh, and God, please, please make her cute. <laughs> well, the prearrangements were made unofficially. I was about 15 at the time, and she was 10. Over the next number of years, we really didn't see much of each other. Our towns were far apart, travel was hard, and there was just so much work to do every day just to keep our families afloat. But a couple times a year, we would see each other at a, at a family celebration or at a, a town holiday. Mary was a special girl. Oh, she was, she was beautiful. She was smart. She was shy. But she had this, this deep inner strength. She was full of joy and yet serious at the same time. It's like even from the time she was a young teenager, she was preparing for some, some important task. Such a deep faith, the God of Israel. Not only that, but Mary was blossoming into one of the cutest girls in all of Galilee. I was so excited and happy with the choice that my parents had made. Well, things continued to, to unfold according to schedule, and the day finally came. The big day when I turned 20, and within our culture, I was now regarded as ready to marry. And so the arrangements were made, and Mary and I were betrothed to each other. It's something similar to your engagement process, only much more serious. A man and a woman are pledged to be married. It's so serious, in fact, that during that betrothal period, if, if the man dies, the woman's considered a widow. And yet, they can't sleep with each other yet. That's got to wait for the second part of the wedding, where they have the ceremony and the banquet. And so things are chugging along, and I'm just... I'm so grateful for this great woman that, that God has given me, that my parents are, have been wise enough to choose. 
and waiting for that special day. Well, the special day turned out to be a lot different than I ever imagined. I still remember that day when Mary sat me down and dropped the bombshell that just blew up my life. She said that she was pregnant. Pregnant! Not by me, I'll have you know. All this time I thought she was this, this humble, gentle, pious country girl. All this time she's been sneaking around behind my back, sleeping with another man. And now she's carrying his child. Oh, I was so angry. How many times have they been together, I wondered. How many other men had Mary been with behind my back? Oh, I was so furious. God, how could you allow this to happen? Why didn't you give my parents wisdom to see through this deceptive woman's evil schemes? I could just hear the, the rumors now and all the gossip. I would be the laughing stock of the town. Hey, Joseph, heard Mary had a great time out on the town Saturday night. Joseph, you got a real keeper there. What a catch. I was humiliated. I was angry. I was frustrated. How could she do this? Did she care so little for me? She ruined our marriage before it even had a chance to begin. Not only that, but she, she put her very life at risk. The law of Moses is very clear that if a, a married man and a, a married woman commit adultery, that they are both to be put to death. Now, since the Romans had conquered and occupied our country, the sense of death had been removed from my people. Few adulterers were killed. But still, the humility or the humiliation and the shame that Mary had subjected herself to was beyond imagination. No, no decent Jewish man was going to marry a woman like that. A woman who'd been pregnant before marriage with who knows who, child. And if her father was unwilling to bear the social stigma and the shame of allowing his wayward daughter to live out her days with her illegitimate child in his house, then she'd find herself out on the street as a beggar or as a prostitute. I couldn't believe what had happened. I didn't know what to do. I was so angry on one hand, oh, I just wanted to strangle her. And I wanted to divorce her. And I wanted to punish her. And I wanted to make her suffer for what she had done how she had humiliated me, how she had ruined my life. But in my heart of hearts, I didn't hate her. I loved her. And I didn't want to do anything that was going to make her life worse than the hole she'd already dug for herself. I knew I couldn't go ahead with the marriage. Under those circumstances, I couldn't, I couldn't raise some stranger's child. And yet, I wanted to spare her as much shame as I could. And so I decided I would divorce her quietly. 
As I went to bed that night, I determined that first thing in the morning, I'd go to the lawyer, I'd have the divorce drawn up, I'd have it witnessed, I'd give it to Mary quietly, without all the fanfare that others had done in the past. I would spare her as much humiliation as possible. And I would get on with rebuilding my broken life. Sleep didn't come easy that night. I tossed and turned for what seemed to be forever. Finally, out of sheer exhaustion, I drifted off to sleep. And in my dreams, I, I saw Mary's face. I saw the tears rolling down her cheeks as she pleaded with me. She had come up with this cockamamie story that it was the Holy Spirit who had placed this child within her womb, that it was all part of God's cosmic plan. And in my, in my dream, I wanted to believe that what she was saying was true. I wanted to believe that, that I was part of some divine story unfolding. But it was just too impossible. I'm just a carpenter. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I'm not stupid. I know girls don't just get pregnant. And then, in my dream, Mary faded out of view, and there he appeared. And I knew right away that this was an angel. I was overcome with terror, and yet I felt incredible peace at the same time. It was the strangest feeling I had ever experienced. And then he said these words to me, which I'll never forget, etched in my memory because they changed the entire trajectory of my life. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then he disappeared, and I woke up. Have you ever had one of those experiences? Something happens and you know you're never going to be the same again. That your life is going to go now in a totally different direction than you were anticipating, than you were planning. Had one of those moments. No longer did I see Mary as this wayward, deceptive woman with low morals. Instead, I saw her now as this, this brave and frightened young woman who had been given this incredible, incredibly difficult task to bear. And so as I quickly got dressed, I, I had all these thoughts going through my mind. Is God really at work here? Is, what's going on? What am I getting myself into? And the words from Isaiah sprang into my mind, words I had heard in the synagogue as a kid growing up. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. My heart started to race. Was God really drawing me in to his plan for his people and the Messiah? 
And with these thoughts just tumbling around in my head, I took off for the town where Mary lived. I went as fast as I could, and and when I arrived, (laughs) you should have seen the look on Mary's mom and dad's face. I don't think they ever expected to see me again. They're like, what are you doing here? And I was babbling like an idiot about angels and dreams and the Messiah and everything else. And Mary just wept. She said, Joseph, I'm so glad that he spoke to you too. Well, we uncanceled the wedding. In fact, we moved it up as far as we could. And I knew that I couldn't sleep with her as she was carrying that holy child. But I thought if we were legally married, it would remove at least some of the stigma that she was experiencing. Mary was a trooper. She never complained. Never complained about the people whispering behind her back about the awkward stares, about the judgmental glares. She just persevered on. And then the day came. News filtered to our town of Caesar's new census. (laughs) The Romans had declared that every male was to travel to the designated spot to register for the census which was really code for the new tax. The Romans, right, always looking for ways to increase their revenue streams. And so as a descendant of David from the tribe of Judah, I was appointed to travel all the way from Nazareth and Galilee down to Bethlehem and Judea. A trip that would be Difficult enough on my own, but would be incredibly difficult with a wife who was nine months pregnant. And yet it was bittersweet. Even though the journey ahead would be difficult, it gave us a chance to to get out of Nazareth with all the, the gossip and the stories, the awkward stares. Go to Bethlehem, where nobody knew us. Start over. And so we made preparations headed off with others to Bethlehem, and it was tough, slugging for Mary. We tried to keep up with the other travelers as much as we could, but by the middle of the day, they had left us far behind, and I was terrified. We were going to get attacked by robbers and have everything stolen, or worse. So even though it meant walking long into the evening every day, we'd make our way and join the other travelers who had set up camp, had all been eating and resting for hours, but at least there was safety in numbers. Next day, get up, do the same thing over again. What I was even more afraid of than the robbers was that as Mary and I were all alone, that she was going to go into labor and give birth to this child in the middle of nowhere. Finally, the day came when we could see Bethlehem in the distance, and of course we were the last ones to to make our way in at the very end of the day. Everything was full. It's one thing about Caesar's senses that had been very good for the hospitality industry. And so I looked up above in the inn, and every guest room was taken. I looked below, nothing but a barn with stalls. 
And I prayed, oh God, I'm so sorry. This is no place for your son to be born. He, need, he deserves to be born in a palace, not in a barn. And then Mary cried out. The contraction started coming, and then the terror hit me. And I looked around, and I really didn't know what to do, and so I found the, the cleanest pile of straw that I could find. I cleaned that up and patted it down, and she cried out again, and she could no longer even stand. Fortunately, some of the women that were staying in the guest room had heard her cries, and, and they came down to help, which is a very good thing, because I didn't have a clue what to do at that moment. Her cries came out, and then everything just kind of went crazy. And all I heard was, you know, breathe deep, push, breathe deep, push, squeeze his hand, breathe deep, push, and then crying. But no longer Mary's cries, but the cries of the new baby. And Mary wrapped him in cloths to keep him warm. She put him to her breast and nursed him till he fell asleep. And there was no bed, there was no crib, there was nowhere to lay him. So I cleaned out a, a manger, a feeding trough as best as I could, and we laid the baby in there to sleep. And I just looked around shaking my head. What had just happened? And yet, as I took stock, the baby had safely arrived. Mary was exhausted, but she was okay. I took a deep breath. I contemplated, drifting off to sleep. When I heard it, voices, loud voices, voices searching for someone. Where is he? Over there. Maybe he's over there in that barn. My muscles tensed. I didn't know what was going on. Who was this? And all of a sudden the door opened and a group of the scruffiest, roughest characters you've ever seen poured in the door. I don't know what was going on. And they looked at me and they looked at Mary and they looked at the baby and their eyes went wide and they were running in every different direction. Like I couldn't make heads or sense what was going on. They were all talking at the same time. But finally, I began to piece things together. They were shepherds, which explained the smell. And they had been watching over their flocks nearby. They had just settled in for the evening around the campfire when suddenly an angel had appeared in the sky and declared to them the good news. God's favor was upon them and had given them the sign that the Messiah was to be born that night. They were to go and make a search and the sign was that they would find the baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. No sooner had the angel gave them that than the whole sky was filled with a whole multitude of angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, the shepherds knelt before the baby. It's a, a strange sight to see grown men kneel before a child. And yet it seemed so appropriate. 
silent hush fell over the whole group and then the shepherds just backed out, shut the door behind them. And as soon as the door had shut, I could hear their loud voices proclaiming to anyone and everyone who would listen that God had been faithful to his people, that the Messiah had been born. And Mary and I just looked at each other in absolute amazement. What was God up to? What role did this child have to play? What did his future hold? Well, the next day, after a few hours of sleep, I went and I made arrangements for us to rent a small house in Bethlehem. It wasn't much. We were dirt poor, but it was a place that we could call home. Mary rested that week, and on the eighth day, we had our boy circumcised according to the law, and we officially named him Jesus. And then in keeping with the law, 33 days later, we made the short journey to Jerusalem to the temple for the purification rites and to offer the sacrifice called for. Strangest thing happened when we were in the temple. I don't know why I thought it was strange because ever since I had been betrothed to Mary, strange things kept happening in my life. This is just one more. We ran into this very, very elderly man. His name was Simeon. And he shared with us that God himself had appeared to him and told him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And then he took Jesus in his arms. And he said and he prayed these incredible words. He said, Lord, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Words I'll never forget. And again, I was utterly amazed. Who was this baby, really? What did his future hold? Supernatural conception? Angelic appearances? I, even, I never even got to the part of the Magi. That came later. But it made me wonder. Clearly, this was no ordinary child. And that would be borne out. He would be no ordinary child. Jesus would grow up to become a great prophet and a great teacher and a great worker of miracles and ultimately a great sacrifice. Friends, that first Christmas, Joseph and Mary and others received an amazing gift, the gift of God's own son. But that gift wasn't meant just for him or her or those who lived so many years ago. That gift was meant for all of us here today as well. 
And so my encouragement to you today is this. As we leave here, go back home. As you get together with family and relatives as friends, enjoy the day, enjoy the lights, enjoy the music, enjoy the decorations, be sure to enjoy the food. <laughs> enjoy the gifts under the tree. But in the midst of all of that, make sure that you celebrate and give thanks for the greatest gift that any of us will ever receive, the gift of God's Son, the gift of God's love, the gift of God's grace to each and every one of us. I'm going to invite all of you here to stand with me at this time. Invite the musicians up. And I uh, want to invite you to pray. Oh Lord, so grateful for the gift of your Son. I pray now that you would fill us, Lord, with your joy, the joy of the Lord. Pray, Lord, that we would experience in a fresh way your grace in our lives, that we would experience your presence through your Spirit. Oh, Lord, as you have given so much for us, in return we just give ourselves to you. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, Lord. May your grace and your love flow through us. May we be a blessing to all who we talk to and come in contact today, throughout these holidays, and throughout this entire upcoming year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now receive the benediction of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.